0: Hello everybody, it's Roscoe here, your host of the My Love of Golf podcast, and today I have a very special guest. Yes, it is the one and only Eric Anders-Lang. You heard correct, Eric Anders-Lang today joins me, Roscoe, on the My Love of Golf podcast. Now, I'm not going to do justice by introducing the back catalogue of Eric's work. You need to go on and see that if you already don't follow and subscribe Eric's work on the EAL podcast or on the YouTube series. There is... Endless amounts of golf content that you can consume and enjoy and engage with on there. What I wanted to achieve out of today's discussion with Eric is to really get to the essence of his passion for golf and in particular talk about the random golf club movement, which we do talk about. And I think once you listen to that chat, you'll see that Eric is a guy that's invested in not only golf today, but golf for the future. And through the work that he's done and the connections that he's able to, to make, you know, he is someone that really has the power and the potential to influence the game from the top and from the grassroots level. And to me, I see that as one of the most important things about being a golfer and about also being in the golf industry is looking at this holistic approach to who we are, but what do we want to be? And someone like Eric Anders Lang has unselfishly that vision of what we want to be and a goal and a perception of how we can get there. I'm pretty proud of being able to you know, get Eric's time. It's uh, you know, a bit of a crowning moment in the My Love of Golf podcast uh, series. And uh, I do thank Eric for his time. I'm pretty passionate about the random golf club movement. It's something that I got to experience and see firsthand with 90 other people at uh, Royal Park in December. And it's something that I look forward to being part of in the future. I hope to see you at a random golf club event one day. But if you want more information, you know you can tune into any one of the channels that uh, talk about RGC. Have a look at the videos. Have a look at the vlogs. Have a look at everything that Eric's produced because it's just a wonderful catalog of work so far. And the beauty is, there's much more to come. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Jump over to iTunes. Leave us a review send me a message, send Eric a message, share this podcast with anyone that you think might want to listen to Eric and I have a chat about golf. It was a great moment. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Anders Lane, welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. Really appreciate your time and thanks for joining us uh, from over there in LA, sitting here in Melbourne. How are you?
1: I'm good. You know, I don't, is this a video podcast or just audio, Ross? I was going to say, if those of you are listening, yeah. Ross, you seem to be in a very beautiful place. Your background is, is that, don't tell me, is that Kingston?
0: Peninsula Kingswood. It's Peninsula Kingswood. It's the, it's the side of the course um, that, um, that you didn't see, the south course, but uh, yeah, it's one of the backgrounds I do use, so I'll put it up there, yeah.
1: So I was going to say, beautiful here in Los Angeles, but, it, but you know, I don't know, Melbourne, you get Melbourne <laughs> for season A, you're looking to have a good one today.
0: It's a beautiful day, uh, the seasons are changing, it's a little bit different to when uh, we caught up when you were down here in December, but even in December, and if you look back at the, at the vlogs that you've just recently posted, you know, you had nice weather at Peninsula, I think it was raining or cold one morning at uh, maybe Metropolitan, so, you, you know, you you experienced it, but right now it's, it's fantastic here and uh, it's good that we can get back out and play some golf and, you know, the place has gone nuts for, for golf, you know, everyone's out there and doing it pretty actively, you know, after being starved for, in Victoria for, you know, two months or so, so it's good. It's really good. It's a long time.
1: I, w- I will say I'll jump in and say my favorite memory from being down um, around Melbourne for December for Press Cup was a rainy, cold round at Yara Yara. And just so cool to see the work that's being done there to restore Alex Russell's line and just what a cool place. Uh, you know, I just wish I could play there every day. That place was cool.
0: So Tom Doak, who who you know, has had a fair hand in in the regeneration of, of that uh, place, and I haven't seen it yet. But um, as you, as you say, by all accounts, it's uh, it's come up a treat. What were what were some of the other standouts for you in that trip to Melbourne? And, and I know you've been and visited Melbourne a handful of times before, but in seeing you know the newest sandbelt course in Peninsula Kingswood, seeing Yarra Yarra, and and then comparing it alongside the other established courses like metropolitan and, uh, um, Victoria, what, what do you take outs? What do you think? And, and when people ask you, Hey, what's Melbourne like, you know, what do you, what do you tell them?
1: I mean, you, uh, embarrassment riches is what they say, yeah. you know, you guys have some incredible golf and, you know, I mean, at some point it's splitting hairs I and, mean, you know, if you were not observant, you would think that all the courses are relatively similar and they, and they have a lot of similarities but coming there as an american golfer as a world golfer visiting a lot of other courses around the world you know it's it's really cool to see the theme develop within that region and you know in some cases it it, it each each course has its own characteristics that are unique to that course um you know they're not easy that's for that's for sure hard greens very, um, available hazards. They're, they're all over the place. These bunkers, these sandbelt bunkers are just, you know, really, uh, they're, they're agricultural, um, you know, artwork really with the way that they're shaped and and cut and just ordained standouts. I mean, you know, like it's, it's very, I'm not a course raider and (laughs) I've never, you know, I'm an experienced guy, so, like I already said, Yara Yara, for me, coolest story, right? Cool, coolest story. The, the idea that Alex Russell worked with Mackenzie and worked on Royal Melbourne and worked on, you know, uh, and then did Para Paraumu and, you know, has had only two other courses to his name that I don't really even know where they are. I know they're in Australia, but, you know, one's over in Perth area. I mean, it's just that that's a story. And the work that the secretary, and everybody at the club has done, and and the clubhouse itself is kind of unique. Um, also, we played there in just terrible weather. Just terrible weather. It was it wasn't even raining. It was just wet. You know, it was like, it was like it was raining, but it was raining so softly and hardly at the same time that it was sort of just like I was just worried even though it wasn't raining, um, which I'm sure you're used to. So that that was a cool story. Peninsula Kingswood, obviously, uh, you know, a treat to be. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's. Um, Clearly that's a, that's a high end version of it all, you know, and the, I like architecture, so I like the clubhouse. I like all that. It was great to play with Clayton and uh, Lucas, Michelle, you know, you're uh, your, are your soon to be low am at the masters, yeah. which will be exciting. And that was a great experience. Um, you know, and then even running around with Darius Oliver and going down there and checking out all of the St. Andrews beach and, you know, really, the, the 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 coolest part is that you could grow up in australia in in the, around there in melbourne and you could play golf your entire life and and you might never have the feeling that you need to leave to golf mm-hmm. elsewhere and that's kind of rare you know um in the united states having friends who are really um involved in in private clubs exclusive kind of um you know with the rich and famous, maybe it's hard to gain that level of variety in your golf or that level of quality. There are obviously really good public courses, but none of them have the backbone of like the, the origins of golf that you guys have down there, whether it's walking, whether it's sort of wonderfully um, uh, open-minded private courses. I mean, you know, the idea that anyone can join and the price point is really like, that's not, we don't have that here. So really you would be a fortunate person to be born or in Australia. And that's really the takeaway I had is especially you get on a 90 minute flight and you're in Tassie and you're just like bugging out at some incredible golf over there. And, you know, it, it's just, it's just like one of those things where, where, cause there are so many good ones in such a close proximity that it's just, you know, it's a great, I mean, I'm speaking to the choir here, but there, there's so many great, you know, routings.
0: Was Cape Wickham your second visit or was that the first time you'd been to Cape Wickham? I played it twice. Yeah. Okay. That's a pretty special place too. Do you, do you see that as somewhere that people from all around the world would aspire and want to come? You know, it's, it's pretty remote. You know, do you think that people are going to put that on their bucket list of, of places to visit?
1: They might. And you know, my experience with Cape Wickham was kind of interesting because the first time I went there, which was in, um, 2016 or 17, um, Stuart and I went to, uh, King Island and Tasmania and, 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 uh, So we played four courses there. And the first time I went, I thought Cape Wickham was my favorite course we Did Ocean Dunes, played Barnaboo, we played Lost Farm. And then the second time, three years later, after obviously visiting more golf courses and, and even learning more about myself, my own golf game, and who I am. Going back the second time, Barn Boogle was the standout. Mm. Really just blown away by the creativity there. Young Tom Doak collaborating with Michael Clayton. Kaiser comes down before opening day and says, you got to switch the nines. These are all going to be into the wind, into the prevailing wind. You can't, you can't play 10 on too long of a hole into the wind. It, or, or rather, um, uh, no, I believe I'm wrong. I think he, I mean, he was talking about 15, 16, 17, 18, 1, 2, 3 playing as a stretch in the middle of the round would be too much into the wind. I think that's the prevailing wind coming out of the, uh, any event. Um, yeah, for me, Cape Wickham is, you know, it's just one of these things where Darius would tell you, like, it's just like the the land was there. What are you going to do? Like, you can't, you can't really, you know, you, you work with the land and it's just kind of happens. So, you know, I know a little bit about architecture. I know a lot more about vibes and, and kind of, and kind of, um, those kinds of things. But I will say that upon second inspection, I, I, I really was blown away by Boogle. Where, whereas the first time, you know, and I don't know what that really means. I think I need a third visit really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like it's like, it's, I don't know what that means. I will say that Boogle has a little bit more of a discovery factor where you kind of like peak, you get a peek, you get a glimpse, you get a reveal of the holes. Kid Wickham is kind of out there for you. And it's open. And that's not a bad thing at all. I mean, I just played Sheep Ranch up at Bandon and, you know, I had the same experience where I, I like trails better. This inland track at Bandon where the holes just sort of reveal themselves and, and you don't know what's coming next as you kind of walk through the woods to get to the next tee box. So, you know, that could be part of it.
0: I don't know. You said uh, before, you know, talking about Melbourne and, and golf in general, that preaching to the converted. But you know, there are many people that still haven't experienced sandbelt golf. And, and for me, you know, my joke when I talk to golfers you know, at myself is I'm still the only guy in Melbourne that hasn't played Barnbugle, and I haven't been down there. And it's crazy, and it's it's almost a crime. But uh, you know, I could listen to someone tell their story about Barnbugle many times over, you know, the same story or stories from everyone who's been. And, you know, it just makes me want to go there more. So I hope that, uh, you know, in, in us talking about Melbourne together, that people listen to that and want to come down and visit Melbourne, you know, as we open up the tourism and things start to get back to normal. It's nowhere near normal yet, as you know. But, uh, you know, we need to put places like this back on the destination list. And I'm sure that uh, anyone listening to you talk about Melbourne Sandbelt, Golf, Bamboogle, King Island, um yeah, well, we'll just, it just helps that cause. And, you know, the vlogs are great. You know, they they just really capture the, the essence and the vibe. You know, you say you, you like vibes. It catches the vibe of what Sandbelt golf is really all about. I'm kind of jealous that you've
1: never been to Barnaboo
0: That,
1: that's so cool. You get to really experience it for the first time. And I wonder what that'll be like. I mean, it's just like miraculous. Don't, don't read anything about it. Just stop doing any research and just go yeah. and get a scorecard and a yardage book and just it's just like, turn the camera off, whatever you're going to do. Just play one round for yourself. Cause that place is, that's it. That's, 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 that's one of Tom Doak's best I'll say.
0: Yeah. It's a skill to do that. You know, like, especially when you're so invested in golf to, to not research and not go and just be there in the moment. And, you know, in talking to a lot of people that have been, you know, without golf for a few months, that's one of the things that's really stood out is you know, more people are talking to me about not scoring, you know, going out and playing, you know, their first six or seven rounds without scoring and just being there with their friends and appreciating that. And you know, I think that's one of the big things that's come out of this time. And I know, you know, for you in listening to you and, and following you along, you know, the scorecard thing and not scoring, you know, comes in and out of the vernacular of the discussion, sorry. But I think, yeah, that's a real skill to go and do that.
1: You know, I think there's, there's, it's, it's like your putter grip, you yeah. know, it's gotta be, strong enough to hold the putter, but soft enough to let it go. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, I look at score is it's like you, you know, you, you know, do not do you, do you only play for score? Right. I mean, it's like, it's, it's good to keep score. You know, you can see if you're getting better. It's good to keep stats. It's good to know if you're hitting fairways. It's good to know if you're, what side are you missing? And do you miss right every time? Well, might be time to, you know, fix that slice or aim a little further left, really. Um, and, I think that's what's wonderful about golf is it's it's like it's as complicated as any other machine we've invented, like an engine or you know, there's so many different things about the game that you can work on and tune up and score is a way of understanding all that, but it's not the only way of playing. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that we confuse playing and you know, golf has such a notoriously low satisfaction rating amongst golfers. You know, it's it's up there with airlines. Fifty percent say that they enjoy it, which is like whoa. <laughs> no one no one would devise a, like a, a, a pastime that's that unenjoyable. And I think that's up to us, you know, to, to figure out a way to enjoy such a wonderful offering. And really I think if anything positive has come out of this pandemic situation, it's that what does golf really mean to us as individuals, as a community? And, and clearly it means a lot because, you know, the taking away of it has really shown us the hole that exists there which is social, you know, for some it's spiritual for others. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's about yourself, you know, it's about obviously just going for a walk is, is beneficial to your body. Mm. So, you know, all of those things and it's, and it's, and it's, uh and it's so difficult. And so score sometimes gets on the wrong side of the equation. And we, as we end up always feeling like we're up behind the eight ball or like pushing a ball up a hill and, that feeling of getting past score and playing well out regarding the score, that that's that's the tie web moment in Caddyshack, you know, where it's just like no 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 no, you know, like you <laughs> you stop caring all of a sudden you play great. Well, that that's great. So then, you know, how do do that every time? Well, it's not easy and that's why that's why people play it for decades. So, you know, I'll be I'll be honest, I don't ever play and not know what I shot. But mm. there's a lot of times where I play and
0: I don't care what I shot. You talk about Caddyshack and then na na no no and you know immediately for me, uh, I hear Be the Ball and uh, your own project um, that you've been working on for a, for a while, a long you Your movie, um, how would you describe that, and where where's that at?
1: So, Be the Ball was kind of the origin of a lot of um, what what we do. In a sense, it's kind of like if, uh, forgive me for this, but if, you know, if a a chain of restaurants started off as a little hot dog stand, you know, and that's kind of what be the ball was. It it was like, I got into golf. I was already a filmmaker. I was already making little documentaries and music videos and behind the scenes videos for bigger movies. And, you know, I had a little tiny business and I did. Okay. I had a, I leased a Volkswagen and uh, an apartment of my own and I was really happy. And then, you know, that was like when I was late 20s, I thought, wow, like, even though I dropped out of high school, I seemed to have somehow finagled a a little job for myself that, you know, I might be able to like get a, you know, get a bigger house one day, maybe even two bedrooms. And I was really happy with that. Cause I mean, LA is, you know, it's, it's one of these places where you're, you know, you're, you're, it's like, there's either people that are really, really rich. And then there's like me and you're like, okay, so I'm like not going to get a coffee cause it's like $4, you know, that's really where I was at is I was like, I was excited to like have a job and, um, now I loved it. And, um, you know, the camera took me all over the world, even back then, you know, and I would just go, you know, I made this music video of Moby at the time and we went and shot it in India and I convinced him to, you know, let me go to India and make this show for him. And I just used the camera as a, as a, as an airline pass really, as a way to get around. And then when I fell in love with golf 10 years ago, I, uh, I just sort of was completely blown away with the, the idea that golf wasn't what I thought it was, that it wasn't a game for only one stereotype or only one socioeconomic level that it wasn't only private, uh, you know, I specifically a memory of mine was driving by Pebble beach. And as you pass Pebble beach, which is obviously $600 around, very exclusive uh, for the money. It's, it's public, but obviously it's, you know, it's like very expensive, but as you pass pebble beach, you drive by another golf course. That's looks pretty good. And that's $30. And that's called Pacific Grove golf links. And we've since held uh, events there, a random golf club event, which you've obviously do a uh, couple, mm-hmm. which is exciting. And um, we drove by Pacific Grove and there's a couple holes on the Pacific ocean there. And it's a public golf course, it's Muni. And I was driving by, there's this little par three and I pulled over. And I had this little old Volkswagen that I would sleep in on road trips. And I, I pulled over and I got out and I just watched them play. And, and a guy, this was early on in my playing of golf. And there's one guy got up to the tee box in shorts and a and hoodie. And he had a push cart and he was pushing his own clubs. And I thought, dude, that is, that is awesome. Where is this? What is this place? I want, this is my place. And ever since then, really, golf has always been for me about, the public course is mean, it's nice to play a private course so it was nice to play cyprus whatever <laughs> but i feel uncomfortable there i don't as much anymore I, I used to feel very uncomfortable and now i'm just like whatever who cares like it's just a golf course and if, if i'm going to give it higher rankings because it's well then jokes on me um anyway i became fascinated with this idea that golf wasn't the cypress points so i started bringing my camera to the golf course and filming with people and just exploring, not really knowing anything. The camera was an excuse to talk to somebody. And lucky enough, I knew enough about a camera to be able to do it and make this little video. And then I became fascinated with this idea that there was a group of people that play golf and use it as a meditative practice, including Ram Das, including uh, Vijay Singh, Jay Day, a lot of professional golfers. And I saw this connection between pro golf and meditation. So then the film took a turn and became more about an inquiry into whether or not golf could be affected by this Eastern tradition, a Western game really resting on these practices developed in ancient, you know, Asia and began to make a film about that. And as of yet, it's still uncompleted, but that was the beginning of what would become adventures in golf and, and what would become our view of storytelling, which is all are welcome which is laugh at the bad shots, which is, you know, uh, the idea that golf is a, is a very kind of random me of, of humanity. And the more we can see it that way, the more we can change it into the game that we want it to be. Because I think a lot of people would probably, if offered a chance, would change a few things about the game. And I'm not talking about how long the holes are or how fast the greens are. Mm-hmm. More about the way we, like, approach the game and welcome new people to the game. So the film, you asked, where is it at? We are about to sign on our, a partner who's going to basically finish the film with us. We have a full cut of the film, and it's basically it's called "Be the Ball," and it's a documentary about the relationship between golf and meditation, fitted with interviews of tour players and writers and scholars, and it follows the story of about uh, fifteen people that uh, signed up for a meditation class by myself, who uh, meditate for uh, sixty days, thirty minutes and to keep track of their metrics in golf. So, you know, what score, happiness, all sorts of different ways of measuring what was changed as, as meditation was incorporated into their lifestyle and the takeaways are profound and clear. So I'm super excited to, you know, deliver that film, hopefully within this calendar year, 2020, but I'm not exactly sure when it's done, our partners over at Chimney, which is this uh, production company in Los Angeles, headed up by a wonderful gentleman named Marcelo, who loves the project. Special thanks to a guy named Ron Moon for making the connection there. And, you know, we have a lot of great partners involved in the making of the film from one of the, you know, board members of the PGA Tour to my friend Taylor, who's a golf guy in San Diego. So, really excited to be able to bring that movie to fruition after it's already led to so many other incredible things. Um, making a film is not like making 10 YouTube videos. It's, it's, way, it's yeah. way different, but I'll be really excited to share it when it goes up and hopefully that'll be soon.
0: I, I can't wait. And, you know, when I go back to listening to you for the first time talk to me talking to, uh, to Joe Parent, uh, that was a revelation for me. You know, I went on to listen to the audible book of of um, uh, Dr. Joseph Parent's book but since then, I've started working with Jamie Glazier. Now, I, I think you know Jamie. He's a mental performance coach. Uh, looks after Lucas Herbert, Ryan Ruffles, Gabby Ruffles, and I help him with his podcast. And you know, I, I become tend to become the subject matter. So you know, all all of the things that go on for me get discussed, and, and we unpack that and, and talk about you know a few things. It's about ten or eleven podcasts so far. But just since that time of working and sitting alongside someone like Jamie, who just works in this space. Well, I can't wait to see uh, that movie because it's helped me and my golf, uh, I, immeasurably, you know, just, just having a different mindset, a different approach. It's been, um, it's been a real revelation for my golf. Um, even at my age, you know, like I'm, I'm an, I'm, I'm an old guy now and I should have learned all of these tips and tricks and techniques 20, 30 years ago, but it's amazing that even when you get to, you know, approaching 50 that you can still learn and still improve. And, uh, yeah, it's, I can't wait. So I look forward to that moment. Uh, Eric, I do. You talked in there about access to golf and the, and the welcome. And I guess a lot of that has helped unravel what is now we know as RGC, random golf club. That's a real special project for you. I know how, how close and, and how much that means to you. And, you know, I've, I've seen the benefit of that. I've seen what it's about. You know, I stood there with 90 other people in Melbourne in December and I was blown away. Um, so I know there's big things coming, you know, cause you've mentioned it and I look forward to being part of that, but what, it what, what is the vision that you can share for random golf club moving forward? Where, where we go after this period, you know, we've had a bit of a break, what's happening and where do we see it going?
1: Well, I guess I can, I can attempt to answer that. I'll, I'll start off. I don't know if, listeners know kind of how it started, which is, you know, you're involved in all that. I mean, we began in Melbourne a couple of years ago. We wanted to play golf with a couple of friends that I didn't know who were messaging and saying, let's play golf. Let's play golf here. Let's play golf there. And I didn't have the time to kind of play four different rounds of golf. So we all just met up at Royal park and it was 11 of us and we played nine holes in two hours and 20 minutes or something. And that was really, really fun. Like it was invigorating. Right. And, um, Then we saw that as being this kind of extreme version of a shakeup of, of how golf could be. It was like a roller skating rink. It was like a place where a bunch of people could come and and it, and it really broke down a lot of the social barriers that might occur when you're one person joining three, right? That's tough. (laughs) It's really awkward actually, no matter how good you are at it. I remember it. I remember joining three and being like, Oh God! This oh, I don't want to hit a bad shot, but no one cares if you shot when there's no. 90 people watching. They don't. And that was refreshing. That was like, whoa! This drink is totally different. This game is completely different when we play it this way. And it's not that you would play as a 90s every day or every week or even more than once a year, really. No. <laughs> like the, you know, it's it's merely a like a cleansing almost. It's like refreshing. It's like going to. You know um a trade show it's like it's like going to a concert or an event you know and and in that sense it's a party um, so it originated from this idea of how can we you know all play golf together and, and say hi and then it just started expanding and random Golf Club became this event that we would throw whenever we were traveling, and so we did it in Houston and Florida and Arizona, done in two three in California um you know and this year we had a lot of plans to do a lot but Obviously, that's that that is one thing that is not going to be happening for a minute, but we'll figure it out. We'll get back. Um, and there are videos if you want to see, they're on, you know, our YouTube channel. You can type in random golf club and I'm sure you'll find a handful of videos over there from, from Melbourne, which is really good. When Houston's a really good video. And, um, you know, so the event, right? I mean, you know, the events, obviously, like I, I would love to focus on events and do mostly that. Um, it's there's a lot of logistics associated, um, with doing those, but, they're so rewarding and every time it's over i know me and whoever on the team there it is just like overflowing with i don't know what it is yet but it's like golf sauce i don't know it's it's just like it's just something really unique to that event because we you know when you go to a random golf club event it's like it's like every person exponentiates the experience so the more people that are there, the more excited everybody gets, you know, when you're in like a a, a room that has bad acoustics, it's like the loud people start talking, the louder it gets and the louder people start talking that kind of happens at a random golf club event, but not so much with volume, with vibes more. It's like the, it's, it's just like more, 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 you know? And, um, so that's kind of the, the basic kernel, of what random golf club is. And the, the goal now is to, create a method and a pathway for that experience and that, and the benefits that come from that experience to as many people as possible around the world, because I obviously just hop down to Melbourne or even San Diego um, every weekend or something. So that's what we're trying to, to, to solve right now is is how to solve that and how to create you know, welcoming place for, you know, newcomers to golf. That tends to be for me a thing that I keep going back to because I was a newcomer to golf. And I just remember feeling like nobody in golf really cared or wanted me there or, or was really, it was just this element of just like kind of a little too cool or something or not cool. And I don't know, but it was like, it just always felt like the thing I liken it to a lot is, you know, I don't go to church, but I have been, and when you go to church, man, they are happy to have you yeah. welcome. Mm. You are saved for golf. It's like, no, no, no get out of here. You're going to fill up the tee sheet and you're going to slow it down. And it's like, whoa, we have the backwards idea. And it's partly because golf is a terrible business. It's a terrible business. You're going to tell me that in a world city, you need a hundred acres. that someone go for a walk every 15 minutes. That's a terrible way to make money. So it's a bad business. Ultimately, everyone says there's so much money in golf. It's not true. There's not a lot of money in golf. There's a lot of rich people who play golf because they have a lot of free time. (laughs) That's about it. You know what I mean? All the golf brands are just struggling to make ends meet. I mean, it's not accurate to to a T. I mean, um, but I mean, they are still businesses and, and, you know, they're working hard. It's not like they're just raking in money. Tiger boom obviously led to a lot of people having, you know, like sort of miscalculated perceptions about how much they would be making, you know? It's kind of like if you were a video chat company, and during the pandemic, your stock goes up five thousand percent, and you're like, "This is going to be great," it's going to continue. Well, the the tiger boom was similar to you know golf endemic companies as as this has been for you know Zoom and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the goal with Random Golf Club is that it's also to we're going to be launching a website very soon where we will be working on you know creating a a, a you know, right now, when you go to randomgolfclub.com, I don't know when this is going to air, but as of May 27th, yes, I got the day right. <laughs> as of May 27th. It's, 20, it's 28th where I am, so yeah, I'll get it. Oh, yeah, I got the day wrong. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's a shopping place. It's a place to get merch and hats and things like that, posters, head covers, whatever. And that's great. Like, that's cool. But we're about a little more than that. Yeah. And I think one of the things we really want to start doing is moving into... Telling stories in the written form, getting into things that we can't really do with videos, you know, and with uh, Instagram and, and, and just pushing, just pushing a little more. And really, it's an experiment to see if it works. You know, we want to create like a, a community area on the website where people can kind of join for free and, and have an experience of connecting with people around the world. And then we can incorporate these RGC ambassadors, which you are obviously, and chapter accounts that are around the world so that when someone comes to Melbourne, They can meet up with you and they can play golf and you already are on the same page, right? You already, you already share the same worldview of the game. And that's important because, you know, within golf, we have a lot of, you know, games, a lot of ways of playing. And I think it comes down to just personality, personality types. And, you know, I think a big part of golf is that it doesn't really support the random golf club member currently. Mm. I think it can, Mm -hmm. but I think we need to do a better job of asserting what we want and our importance and how we want the game to grow. Because a lot of times the unwelcoming nature, the score bound nature, the private nature, the no dog nature, the, the, uh, the golf cart nature, all of these natures of golf, they need to be reconsidered. And I'm not a, you know, an activist for golf, for not having golf carts or bringing your dog on the course. I I don't care really, but I mean, it'd be nice if you could bring your dog, don't you think? I mean, I think customers would like that. I think golfers would be more compelled to bring their, you know, significant others if they could go for a dog walk at the same time. And I think we all agree. And that's the strange thing is we all agree, but yet there's no one really stepping forward and saying "This this is our petition. And so random golf club really is in a general view aimed at sort of creating a petition. You know, we we want to forever change the game of golf in a positive way, so that more people can enjoy it as we go forward. It doesn't bother me that courses are closed. It doesn't matter. Yeah. What we need to have is people coming to the game and staying with the game because they find it enjoyable and welcoming. You know, courses are going to close around cities because urban development is just impossible to ignore. You, know, I mean, the land that a golf occupies in a city, Royal Park, for example. I mean that's an incredible piece of property. It's incredible. You can't imagine how much that's worth. Luckily that won't go anywhere cause it's like city owned or whatever, but you know, so anyway, the website, storytelling, pushing this kind of, um, you know, manifesto is really the goal. And at the same time, really creating a place for all of us to connect online and, um, you know, share experiences, create future experiences, and, uh, I mean, there's a lot of other plans, but they are a little, little bit for, further shot away. So I'll leave the next podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, Eric, it's a great initiative. And in what I do, and I don't talk about my business in the, you know, I'm in the golf industry, but I don't talk about my business in the podcast, but just for the sake of the discussion, I'm in the golf business, as you know, he's, and he's a hit man, he's <laughs> <those> bad golfers. <laughs> I, I love the opportunity to talk to someone who's new to golf who comes in to me and says i need you know essentially they come in and say i need your help i need your help to help me understand how i do this golf and you know golf equipment is one of those things that i need and it's just so refreshing to see that type of person and and to be able to help them and you know, whether they buy a 200 set of clubs or 2000 i don't i don't whatever's best for them and whatever they want to do that's that's what i try and facilitate but what i do do is make sure that they're under, they understand and are aware of the ways to do golf really well and do it easily. And invariably that ends, ends me to pulling out my phone and clicking onto, you know, random golf club and just saying, just, just look at that. Just, if you do nothing else, if you would never made the golf course, go and, go and watch that. And, you know, what I know is people have come back and when they finally make their decision or when we help them a bit more and they go, you know what, I looked at that video and it was great. I can't wait for that to happen. I'm smiling so big, man. That's, that's a real compliment. And that's a
1: further kind of uh, inspiration to just continuing to reframe the message. So I appreciate that.
0: No, it's, it's, it's real. It's real. You talked about something uh, there when we were talking about random golf club and, and dogs on courses, which just makes me automatically think about, you know, my experiences of playing golf in Scotland, you know, I'm, Scottish by blood, Australian by birth. I'm married to a girl from Scotland. So it's a pretty, pretty close place to me. It's pretty close to your heart as well. I know that. Why, why do you, why do you think it's so easy for, you know, like things like that dogs on golf courses as one example, but let's talk about Scotland for a wee bit. Why do you think it's so easy over there and, and seems seemingly so difficult even here in Melbourne? What's, why do you, why, why, what's the barriers? I don't understand myself.
1: Good question. I think it comes down to, um, well, the Scottish people. Wonderful. Um, Scottish people, I don't think are as quick to judge as Americans or Australians. And and forgive me if you're listening and that offends you, but that's been my experience. Scottish people are more likely to wave from afar. Mm -hmm. Scottish people are more likely to offer Service help advice um, they're also very opinionated. they're not going to give you a softball, no. so they're going to tell you how they feel.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Scottish people are painfully independent as a country
1: and as a, a town, as a city right there they're they're incredibly um motivated by the individual. And that makes up a country of 5 million people that all believe in themselves and what they do. And, you know, I think what that means is that there's a level of like a Scottish self-respect that each person has and tree itself has that really isn't echoed in a lot of other countries with such a, at the same time, it's not, it's not, they don't have a negative view of outsiders. It's very positive. It's very much like come to our country. There's no resentment from tourism. And I think that is probably why it's, it's not that they love dogs anymore. It's not like Mexico where the dogs are just animals. It's not like China where they eat them. It's not, it's not not, nothing to do with that. It's nothing to do with the relationship with the dog. It's the relationship with, I think this just that like, Oh, he wants to bring his dog to the golf course. I'm not going to tell him no. Also, you've obviously got the logistical thing of the right to roam, which is not present in the United States. No, not here. No, here. Present in Australia. So the idea that one can walk their dog right to roam, that there's no such thing as private property, really, that they can roam anywhere with their dog, it would naturally include the golf course. And so I think with the with being such a great place, especially in Scotland, to walk the dog, I and mean, there's golf courses in Scotland that are all on these beautiful pieces of land that are like holy almost. And then also it probably has to do with the old course at St. Andrew's setting an example of being closed on Sundays, being available for the the townspeople to enjoy as a non-golfing arena and just merely a park. That doesn't exist really anywhere in the world, mm. uh, especially at a course that's actually generating a lot of money. Um, so that's a fascinating play that is continued tradition into 2000s. And so these things, you know, the the protection of the citizens of the country of Scotland is is really remarkable. And I think that that's probably has more to do with we'll, we'll never well, straight fact. <laughs> but I would imagine that. I mean America is a place where there's walls and there's, you know, do not enter and it's private and the game came here and it was very, you know, exclusive and, and high end and and, and you know I'm sure people listening to this know that in Scotland, you, you, could be playing with a prime minister really. And, and, you know, it's not going to be a huge deal. Um, not a sitting prime minister, but you know, former, um, you know, but where, whereas, you know, in America, it's like they close the entire golf course, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's guns everywhere guys, there's no guns over there or in Australia. So I'm pretty sure it has to do with a lot of those things. Um, I just wish we could figure it out here, but it's happening. It's changing slowly.
0: You've mentioned before that you could see yourself living in Scotland one day. It's something that I think about personally. And I talk to, to my wife about, you know, maybe living there one day and, and it's always been something for me um, just cause of my heritage and for whatever reason it might happen. Um, you've talked about it. Is, is it a possibility? Might it happen?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's possible. I don't, I don't know. As, as I think about it now, I mean, it's it's hard for me to envision right now just because mm. yeah, we're okay. in, we're in a, we're mostly working and I can work from anywhere really. I mean, a lot of our work is online on the phone or on email, you know, but if I was going to move there, I'd, I'd want to be done.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? Like I would want to just be done. Mm. I don't have a family. I'm not married. So. It's hard for me to imagine it right now, but that would be incredible. It it would be great to go and open up a place Mm -hmm. where people can come. I wouldn't go there to be selfish. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there to just get away and play some good golf. I I would go there. I would want to create something else, you know, it wouldn't be like random golf club, you know, HQ or anything. I think it would just be nice to have a place where, you know, friends could come visit all the time and you know, you'd never be, you know. I don't drink, but you'd never be having a drink alone.
0: <laughs> whatever, I don't drink either, so uh, I'd join you in whatever that drink would be. But um, yeah, the sort of place where the fire's always on, and you know, there's the the tea. You, you drink tea in Scotland, you know, you just have to have the teapot on all the time, and then then you can cover all the bases. It's no no problems. Where where where's your favourite spot? Do you have a favourite spot? You know, would you be over there in the Dunavity side in the Western Isles, or would you be down there, you know, down with Malcolm Duck in East Lothian, or over in St Andrews? What probably hard probably hard to answer. It'd be very hard to I think
1: really it would depend on the 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 site, yeah, you know, and the opportunity um I don't know, I mean is pretty isolated mm, yeah, uh, yeah douglas is is the biggest travel through I think I was getting acquainted with the town, and then all of a sudden it was in the rear view mirror yeah um i Edinburgh's a bit busy and touristy for me mm-hmm. um Malcolm's area down there in East Lothian and, and Aberlady is beautiful, really beautiful. Um, uh, St. Andrew's is a postcard. I mean, it would be hard to pick. I think it would probably be a little bit outside of town with something that just worked, you know, some, some, some place where it just exudes peace and, and, you know, I don't know.
0: we, we talked about Stuart earlier on. And as you know, I recorded an interview with Stuart a month or so ago, and it was a great, it's been one of the most um, successful episodes. And it, it was really easy to just to have that chat with, uh, with Stuart and just about his life and his background and you know, all of that. He did mention about the time that you and he met. And I'm just wondering, you know, can you tell me your version of the time when you met Stuart? Gladly. Yeah. Um, I had
1: just gotten back from shooting the first episode of Adventures in Golf at St. Andrews. Um, it was all about the old course. And um it was my first trip to Scotland. It was my first time being on camera, really. I had no idea what I was doing. We spent eight days at St Andrews at a little hotel, the Ard Gowan. And um Walked around St. Andrews every day and had beautiful, beautiful weather. And the only day we didn't have great weather was the one day where I got to play the old course. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, and I got home. I got to L.A. and I missed, you know, I had such a great time. And then we went to this uh, birthday party for a friend. Um, I was married at the time. And so it was uh, It was like 15 people at this birthday party that was like, I don't know, do you guys have a rooms in Melbourne? Yeah,
2: yeah
0: yeah
1: so it's this escape room, which is a really fun time actually it's It sounds like something that I would totally judge, but when I heard about it but it's 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 actually incredible. so we had a good time and I think towards the end uh we had we had succeeded with flying colors um our team, and I think we broke a record, which was you know kind of cool and at the end, Stuart and I started talking, and I don't really remember the first words we said to each other. I mean it might have just been as simple as I heard his accent uh, as he was talking to someone else and i, I think Someone said, Are you Scottish? And he said, Yeah. And I said, Do you play golf? He said, Yeah. And I said, Are you walking the open? Because it was being played at St. Andrews. It was the year Zach Johnson won. And he said, Yeah, I am. And I said, Do you want to play golf? And then I think uh, he had some business thought to tie up between Australia and um, LA, where he was living at the time. And then he came back we exchanged numbers and, and um I think like a couple months later and texted me on a Sunday night and said, uh, I'm back, I have my clubs. And I think it was, I think it was like 10 PM. And then I said, uh, okay, great. Can you play tomorrow morning at 8 AM? And so we went out and, and really it could have been one of the early um, random golf club, you know, seeds that was planted in all of our heads at the time where, he joined um, a guy named Akbar who started a company called Seamus golf. And then he another guy named Simon Holt who's a British guy who lives in um, uh, right outside of Edinburgh, uh, who does golf tourism. And, and we, we, um, we played the back nine first and I didn't know anything about Stuart, nothing. I knew that he was watching, he liked golf and he was watching the open. That's really all I knew. And, um, we just on front nine. And then when we got to the back nine, which was actually the front nine, we were on the first tee. And so I remember it a little differently because the first tee is usually the beginning. We got to the first tee. I remember I said, so what do you do, Stuart? What do you do? And he was like, you know, I'm a plumber. And I was like, really? That's so interesting. Like what is, that? I don't understand, you know? And he's like, well, honestly, I, I mean, that's a plumber in Australia, but like, I don't, I just kind of do odd jobs here and I've worked with a band and I've done a lot of other stuff. And, so well, you know, we're hiring. We need someone to help us um, do this movie because that was all that really. I, Adventures in Golf was kind of at the time. It wasn't a real job. I mean, I did charge them money, but I didn't make any because I spent so much making great. Luckily, my wife was a successful Australian singer, so uh, you know, I wasn't too stressed about whether or not the show made money. Which, which may have been a huge turning point in the in not really, really, that I was able to put all of my efforts into the making of this show and make it as great as possible, even though, I mean, YouTube in the last years has become a much more viable, you know, medium for watching vlogs or documentaries. So anyway, I said, you know, what do you do? He said, plumber, I said, okay, well, you know, and then basically that afternoon after we finished the round of golf, Stuart to the office and (laughs) we pretty much, if we were in the same city we've pretty much spent you know most of the day together either working or playing golf or watching golf or eating buffalo
0: wings (laughs) (laughs) yeah well that's that's pretty much how he uh he told the story exactly the same way i love it i could i could listen to that it's another story i could listen to you know many times over you talk about the open and then you sat down and watched the the open at st andrews and you've just completed some work with the open And i've watched that video on um through that subscription there. Fantastic. When you when you sit back now and think, geez, I just made a video for the RNA on the Open, the history of the Open. It surely just can't be just more work. It's just like, do you pinch yourself? Do you look at it and go, wow? You know, like I look at it and go, wow, it meant a lot to me. I could feel Tom Tom Watson's arm around me when he walked along and I was watching that. I could feel a sense. I love Tom Watson. I loved Tom Watson as a kid. You know, the 1975 Open where he um, beat Jack Newton. Now, Jack Newton, for me, is was a childhood mentor. He had established a big junior um, golf foundation in my home state of New South Wales. He's from the same hometown as me. Uh, he's a friend of my family. And, you know, that Tom Watson, Jack Newton, you know, 18-hole playoff is just, in my mind, is one of the all-time great moments in golf. But when you walked off the, through the tunnel there and had your arm, I could just feel that arm on me, and it was great. And... So what, you know, I don't know, what do you look, think about when you look back at that and go, wow, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the, the RNA
1: film that we made, I think is maybe if, if, if not, absolutely it's, it's going to be a close tie. Mm -hmm. The thing from a video standpoint, from a filmmaking standpoint that I'm most proud of, I've never worked that hard on something. I've never um cared so much about a video that's only I mean it's under 20 minutes, I think. It's yeah. right around twenty. Um but it's like
2: when you meet the woman that you're gonna marry, you do anything. You mm-hmm. do anything. There's nothing that
1: you won't do to make her know how much you care about her. And that was this project for me. Right. It was, oh my God, like this is the most important opportunity that I've ever had in my life as a creator, as a thinker, as a golfer, as a human, really. Um, and so as soon as the ideas were being discussed, you know, I said to everybody on the team like we are going to work so hard on this that you will be pissed off by the end. <laughs> and if you're not pissed off then I've done my job. Right? I'm we're never going to let this out the door until it's absolutely perfect, which which goes against one of my big philosophies in life which is done is better than perfect. Nothing is ever perfect. I mean, it's just no not possible. I mean, so that project was really an example of that. And and the, and the greatest part about every project is it has like three stages. You know, this first stage is this like excitement of ideation. The mind can go anywhere. Anything's possible. There's no budget. There's no travel limitations. There's, 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 there's nothing that you cannot do. Idea is there. And, and when you're in that idea stage, that's my favorite part. Almost more than watching the finished product. Because by the time the finished product is there, I've already become numb to the idea to the beauty, to the, to the freshness, to the, you know, when you pull a shirt out of a, out of the packaging and you take the tag off and you see it and touch it for the first time, that's the best moment, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the moments down the line when, when someone compliments you on the shirt or when you, you know, you wear it and you feel fresh and, or, or when it's a part of a memory, you know, you got engaged with that shirt or, you know, but the, but the first moment is key really, especially with the creator, standpoint because it's not a shirt you're not buying a shirt you're making a shirt so the idea of of that initiation of the concept was massive and paul who uh works for the rna is was was so wonderful to work with and, and to get the idea down and then the process of film of making it is exciting but that's that's sort of the worst period to be honest with you because you um have to do it and, and, and it's fun. Look, don't be wrong. Like I love producing and production and making videos and everything like that. But, but that's when you mostly exist in real life. That's when you have to have something happen in front of a machine that has the red button going. You, you, ha- there's no other way to do it. And, and have to, you know, you know, you don't get a lot of sleep. You're probably jet lagged. The weather's not the way you want it to be. Whatever it is, you wake up and your hair looks weird or you feel crusty or like the mic's not working or, you know, Oh, it's super windy. Oh, the camera wasn't rolling. It's like, Oh, there's a weird frequency in this building. The lighting's bad. I mean, that's the worst part. Invariably we do a good job to make it look fun. So, you know, know that, but then the third part that's was talking about with you is, is, is seeing it extend into the world and have And to be honest with you. Early on, like three years ago, I was going to quit making golf videos. I was, I was into season two, of in golf. I wasn't really anymore. And um, I was kind of tired of the business and I wanted to just move into making real films and real documentaries. And there was one single interaction that changed my view. 180 and Akbar, the guy who played golf with me and Stuart and Simon invited me repeatedly to come to the PGA show. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to go. I'm not interested. I'm not, I don't want to go. And he just kept saying, come on, we're, we're, there's going to be friends there. And finally I gave it in and I flew down, I slept on his couch and we went to the PGA show every day and I met a lot of great people. No one knew who I was, but a couple people did. And those couple people came up and said, you're the guy from adventures in golf. Thank you for making that show you reignited my love for the game, and whatever. And that happened about maybe 10 times throughout the course of a couple of days. And it blew me away because I didn't think anyone had seen it. I thought it was a failure. I thought I had wasted my time and I was dissatisfied and frustrated. I was also younger then. I think perspective is a big part, obviously we part in how we see things, but that experience of realizing that the that the that the messages that we had been putting in these bottles had washed up on shore somewhere and they had meant something to someone that was the final link for me to say okay let's go to the gas station let's fill this car up and let's ride yeah and let's go and didn't even know about random golf club had never been to australia whatever you know what i mean like the world was still small and and that really That moment there, that third moment that we just experienced of the RNA film is really like, it's, it's, it really is the why, because without the other two, without the third one, the other two don't really mean much. I mean, I make the film, I would make films anyway, but it would be different. But the idea that, that I make a film for us to watch, that's really where it starts to go quickly and starts to get easy, you know, and I can work as hard as I want on that horrible second. Stage. if I know that there's that third stage where it's like, yes, like, yes, like we got to watch this, <laughs> you know, like everybody got to walk with Tom Watson as he told us a story about Jack. Everybody gets to hear Tom Watson tell all of his stories about his time open and to give Henrik and Phil props at Troon. Yeah. Like all of these things are for us. And I think that's why, people even care about random golf club is because not I'm not doing it for me. I'm not doing it for you. I'm, I'm doing it because we all get it. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, obviously why we found ourselves together down in Australia, you know?
0: Yep. I think, you know, this wouldn't have been spoken. I don't, I don't imagine, but you know, when, when we can influence at the top level, the RNA and, and, And when we can have something like an RGC and there's someone in between connecting the top level and then, you know, so passionate about the RGC type area, it just tells me that we're on the right track. It might not be the bullet train. It might not be the Shinkansen, you know, ride, but we're on the right track. So, um, you know, I think, yeah, well, let's get the, let's get it going. But, um, but I just think that, that, that to me, seeing you make that video and working so close with them and, and listening to, um, Paul from the RNA just talk about how he viewed the content and why they wanted to do something different. Uh, you know, that just, something just clicked for me. And I thought at that moment when Paul said, let's do something different, that there's a shift, there's a different thinking. They're trying to do something different. And, you know, those guys along with the USGA are the, the influences at so many levels, not all, but many levels. So it's good.
1: I mean, that's, that is really the kind of um, in between the lines yeah. moment there where it's like, okay,
0: yeah. all right, good. That's, that was my sort I mean, of,
1: yeah, the door is, yeah, that's a good takeaway. I mean, the door is cracked open yeah, and that's every day. We just try to get that little, you know, um, whatever it is winch or whatever, just open it up a little bit more and just keep opening it up. And the underlying mission that everyone on my team is doing every day is, is, is we obviously have little things to do, but all of those are aimed at supporting the bigger thing to do, which is to, you know, really recognize the way golf is played. Yeah.
0: Eric, I'm conscious of your time. Uh, I really do appreciate it in 2016. I, we could talk for an hour on in 2016. It's the only big golf tournament that I've ever been to. Um, it was just you were there. I was there. Yeah, I was there. Moment in time. Were you one eighteen? I was just off to the side. There was a, so many people there, and I'd been out all day. Um, but yeah, I was. I was there. I was in one of the many people in the many thousands. I can. I'll tell you a funny story. You know, this this shows how innocent I wasn't. It's was only you know five years ago, four years ago. We got there early in the morning. And I thought, postage stamp. I want to see the postage stamp. I ran down to the postage stamp, and you know at the open, they've got the grandstands everywhere, and to their credit, they're free. You know, you get in and you get a seat, you don't have to pay for it, which is fantastic, but it's, it's a one-in, one-out. I get down to the postage stamp, and I've got like seat 1A. Like I'm in the front row, on the corner, near the T. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Great. <laughs> And at 8.15, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm like, right, okay, I had to go. And, of course, it's one in, one out. By that time, there's many people there. And I had 15 minutes in seat 1A on, on the postage stamp, and I saw a couple of guys play. But uh, in my mind, all I wanted to see was Henrik and Phil come through and play that hole. But it, I saw them play many other holes, and it was a phenomenal day. It was as you articulated as you talked about in that, that video and as Tom Watson more importantly talked about it was a phenomenal phenomenal day of golf um, I could talk about it for now but anyway ARG last thing just in closing ARG season 5 episode one's just just released obviously the next episodes you know speaking to Stu you know he was supposed to be in Buenos Aires and I think you mentioned you're supposed to be in Germany and, and so on and so forth will it change will it just be on hold or will you re- recalibrate season five of AIG? Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't think we know really. Um, We do know that we can't really produce a season of adventures in golf without getting on a plane. Yeah. I know that we're not going to get on a plane until things are back to normal. I mean, we we can't travel really even domestically till restaurants and hotels are open. Um, And, I definitely don't want anyone to be put in a dangerous situation and that may not even be someone that we know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't, I don't want to be doing anything like that. So luckily uh, the team at scratch and the PGA tour has been obviously very understanding of that and are very uh, patient and flexible with how we solve that problem. Um. So our dreams of, you know, the original itinerary are 100% going to change. To what degree? I don't really know. We've been having some calls about it recently. We have a couple episodes that we're excited to produce in the United States. Um, so those could happen sooner rather than later. Will the weather be right in South America when we are able to go? Maybe, maybe it'll be so late that it's November. You know, who knows what's going to happen at the golf season in general? There's so unknowns, it's going to happen. Um, It's just a matter of how and and when and and where and who and
0: why. (laughs) Well, let's let's, uh, look forward to when that does happen. And, you know, I'm sure that when it can and can happen safely that, uh, you know, we'll be back back out there doing that. Eric, do you have any questions for me? Is there anything that I can, you know, answer for you or any other thing that we should talk about? Anything that you would like to mention that we haven't covered or it's been a great chat for me.
1: I appreciate it. Um, I would say, what do people say when they see your hat?
0: They say, what's that hat? They ask me, what's that hat? And it's just, (laughs) I wear it all the time and it just gives, gives me a great opportunity to, you know, tell them about random golf club and, uh, you know Japan. It's, it's the random hat for people that uh, are listening and not and not watching, uh, which is inspired by you know your interest in Japan. I have an interest in Japan. I worked for the Japanese people for a long time, so I like Japan. I've been there once, um, but it just gives me an opportunity to talk about it. Same as <laughs> same as my, same as my uh, hoodie with uh, the Looper hoodie, the Looper hoodie with the the wonderful snowball. You know I'm a dog lover. I've got two. They're not here at the moment. They've uh, vacated the premises for for this, so because they could be quite loud otherwise. But uh, yeah. I love snowball. Yeah, he's, he's my guy.
1: All I'll say is I wish I had met you, you know, when I was learning how to golf and getting into it. because The idea that you know, when I was going to golf stores and stuff, like it was just like they would earn more money if I left. It was, there was incentivized to just get me out. And I don't understand it. And I'm going to do everything I can to change it but I, I wish we had met before that because I think a lot of people are lucky to, you know, meet you early on. And, um, that's, that's really cool. And so, um, you know, thank you no, on behalf of everyone
0: who loves golf. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. That's, uh, that means a lot to hear that from you, Eric. And, uh, and, and that's the way that I operate. Um, anyone can, I just, once upon a time I was a kid at a golf club wearing long socks and, pink shirts and, you know, light blue shorts. And there was men that took me under their wing and showed me the way. So I, I'm just repaying that debt. You know, I play with the kids and it's, I'm, just, I'm just returning the, the, the favor that was engendered to me all those years ago. And I love it. I just love playing with the, the young guys and girls and I just love it. I just love it. I love it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Kids have no pretense. There's yeah. nothing to get. Kids aren't trying to get anything.
0: Yeah, just want to play golf anyway.
1: Well, enjoy it, Ross. Glad, to, glad that the golf is back open for you guys. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. And uh, I look forward to the next chat. And I look forward to the next round.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it, Eric. I know your time is, uh, is very valuable. And I really do appreciate you coming on and rounding out, I guess for me, a little series. You know, I've spoken to Jamie Darling. I've spoken to Stu. I've spoken to yourself. And, uh, and that just closes that loop a little bit and we'll do it again all great guys and I appreciate everything that you do for golf thanks for joining me on the mile you of got duck on yeah I know I know yeah great guy he, he looked after me as well so oh he's missing um, missing Zulu so yeah one of my great rounds of golf at the renaissance club with um, with Zulu we, we, we rocked up for the members he said he said uh, come down on Saturday as the members roll up And the members roll up down there at the Renaissance was uh, six, six members. And we played in the six, but we played three V three and it was one of the great days of golf and Zulu was there. And uh, yeah, very fond memories of, uh, of that uh, boy. Um, So yeah, no, I reached out to Ducky and said, passed on my thoughts. So uh, yeah. All right, man. I really do appreciate it. Awesome. Ross. Thank you. Thanks
1: everyone for listening. And uh, yeah, random golf. club. let's go.
0: Excellent work. Thanks, Eric.
1: Thanks.